0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the NUFC Blogcast. After a magical night at St James's Park this last week, we're going to dissect everything about that incredible win, four-one uh, against PSG, and we're also going to preview the West Ham game. Loads to talk about once again on the NUFC Blogcast. Ollie. Bit of a stupid question, really, but uh, did you enjoy the game?
1: (laughs) Yeah, just a bit. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, like, I know we were both there at the game and um, it was just magical, wasn't it? Like, I know that word gets used a lot, but it really was. Not just, I mean, the occasion itself, being back at St. James's Park after 20 years away in the Champions League, that in itself was always going to create like a magical spectacle and occasion for fans. But to then follow that up with that performance, that result, and it wasn't just the performance the atmosphere and how we managed the occasion it was like the stories behind every goal scorer and just all the scenes i mean when when every goal went in it just you looked around you and there was fans hugging each other there was just emotion when the champions league music was played um it was just it was just everything we could have dreamt of and more wasn't it
0: yeah i mean it was just incredible yeah the 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 atmosphere building up to it the psg fans played their part to be fair they were loud um the the yeah the music the atmosphere absolutely going mad for every single tackle that was flying in you remember you know anthony gordon got got one got a foot on foot on the ball and played it out you know after a few minutes and the crowd went mad and just set the tone for the night really it was absolutely
1: brilliant and you know a thoroughly deserved 4-1 win that's it and i think it's one of those reminders as well i know we always know that it's a cliche, but Newcastle fans can be the 12th man. But on Wednesday, I don't think, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've been to a home game where literally 30 minutes before kickoff inside the stadium, you could feel the buzz. There was chants. There was, most of the stadium were up on the feet singing 20, 20 minutes, 15 minutes before the game. And that doesn't happen very often. And obviously credit a massive credit to War Flags as well, who, I mean, they always deliver. They always come up with some something am, am, amazing, but the work they've put in to have all the flags on people's seats, to have the massive, Surfer flag, um, yeah, the the work they they put in was was massive. But I yeah, think I everyone think... inside the stadium played their part too. It was like it was electric, wasn't it? Absolutely electric.
0: It was, it was incredible. And I, the thing I was, I was thinking when I left, I mean, obviously that was special night because it was our first back time back in the Champions League after twenty one years. But um, I thought every game now is an event at St James's Park it's all it's all it's just, because of what war flags are doing because we're playing well it's it, the every, and because they you know they did this lap of honor at the end and you know every game is its own event and it's so yeah. good it's so much better than the drab years of mike ashley uh where it was just uh you used to oh, you know you used to be surprised if we got anything out of any game it used to be incredible but now you know what's that nearly our sixth clean sheet in a row that would have been good if we didn't just concede to psg but not gonna have it point. all <laughs> yeah exactly absolutely incredible and when the champions league music played obviously oh, moment we've been waiting for i thought it kind of started a bit quietly actually i didn't realize it had started and then i heard it
1: it um, was a when chant. I was at... I, yeah there was a chant newcastle fans started a chant just before mm. it started and then i think for the first say five seconds of the music playing couldn't mm. quite hear it but I don't know if you've picked up on this as well, but there was there was a sudden roar about halfway through it, just when the, yeah. the camera was panning across the Newcastle team. And mm. oh, I just got goosebumps at that point. And I can't lie, I had tears in my eyes. Like I was, I, I guess it's 20 years on from our last Champions League game there. And I mean, I, I was what, nine nine years old when, when the game, the, the Champions League last came to Newcastle. And I think when you're just there in that moment, you hear that music, which is iconic to pretty much every football fan it just hits you of how far we've come. I know we've talked about this so much over the past, like what, two years now, well, 18 months of of how much we've come on since the new owners came in, since Eddie Howe came in. But if there's ever a moment that hits you of just how far we've come in those two years, it's when you see the likes of Dan Byrne, Sean Longstaff, and all those guys stood out there, stood up there to the Champions League music in front of a packed out St. James's Park with Mbappe on the pitch and about to play a a, a first home game in the Champions League for 20 years. It's just, yeah, it was just, uh, just magic.
0: The um, The difference between the UCL music at the San Siro and at St. James's because I was at the San Siro for the Milan game is they absolutely blast it. So, you, guys, you know, it comes in with that operatic... Which is really cool. <laughs> I think we should have played it a little bit louder. I hope next time we do because I didn't quite hear the start of it. But then obviously... Oh, really? Yeah, obviously that, I was right at the back level seven. So maybe it's... So it's
1: I was going to say maybe it was to do with that more. I mean, I sit in the corner of the Gallagher closest to the Melbourne. So... And, it, and I'm fairly high up in that corner, so maybe I was a bit closer to a speaker, or I don't really yeah, know, maybe. but... Um... but it was
0: still, it was still, you know, incredible. And yeah, yeah the, the fans roaring halfway through. The thing about seeing, you know, Sean Longstaff and Dan Burn. obviously we're going to talk about them scoring and everything, but I just... You know, the interviews after the game where they're saying, you know, oh, I, you know, I watched Dan Burr had a season ticket the last time, and I watched, you know, the heroes of old play in the Champions League. I don't know, Philip Albert, you know, Shearer, and, you know, you know Bellamy, uh, even Solano, all them... And yeah. I, I just, Andy, I just, Andy I, Griffin against Juventus. Andy Griffin <laughs> against Juventus and then yeah. he unscored and then he scored against Juventus and then I think the next week in the Premier League he scored an absolute screamer against Charlton if I can remember correctly and then didn't oh, score really again. Right. Um I think that's right. Uh someone will correct me I'm sure but um yeah no and I think I was just I remember thinking I am not sure that they realized that they are now becoming those heroes. Yeah. They they, they think back and just think, oh, I'm I'm getting to do something I've always dreamed of doing. All my heroes did it. They, I don't think they realize that they are becoming the the the, the similar today's
1: version of that. So absolutely, absolutely incredible. Um, no, that's it. And I think I think that's what's so great about this because it's not just a massive win in the context of the group and that obviously we talked about the importance of these two home games against PSG and Dortmund after getting an point at Milan and obviously the importance of the group and the immediate effect of the result, but. In in for years to come, for generations, this is going to be. Were you there the night Dan Byrne scored against PSG? The night Sean Longstaff scored against PSG? And 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 if you weren't there, you'll be telling your kids, your grandkids about it. And these these will be the heroes of, of well forever, really, in Newcastle history, I think. in in terms of this was this was the team who uh, who did this against PSG because, like I say, we didn't just beat them; we battered them, didn't we? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. I think the local heroes, aren't they?
0: Local heroes and yeah, you, you're right. You know, if, you know, Dan Byrne was was born a, a stone's throw away from the stadium. Longstaff was here before the takeover. Shaw was here before the takeover. Almiron was here before the takeover. So you know, it's just it's just great, isn't it? I mean, you couldn't have you couldn't have written the script any better than than it ended up. Um, I think. Well, yeah, what as the well is sp- obviously. Yeah, go
1: on. Sorry, go on.
0: I was going to say, who are the star players? What are the what are the best moments? What are the things we want to pick out?
1: I mean, when it comes to star players, there's so many to choose from, and it almost feels wrong if you did pick out a couple because everyone really played a massive part. I mean, um, I guess if I'm looking at the players who I thought played an absolute blinder and who who were maybe were picks for man of the match, I thought Bruno was just another level. I mean... Yeah. There was one moment where he sort of not only like this, disp- but I think he, he, he nicked in ahead of Mbappe and then sort of did a pirouette and then he was away on the counter attack and played a quick ball into Weezaq. And it was just turning talk about turning defense into attack and just a couple of touches. And
0: even Le Keep, I saw, gave him an eight out of 10,
1: which is so yes. rare. <laughs> and they're pretty stingy with their ratings normally, aren't they? So, mm. um, but yeah, like everything about him, whether it was his intensity off the ball, his quality on the ball, and just those classic Bruno moments where he wins the ball back next to the next to the fans and he just gives it the big one. And it's those little moments, a bit like you talked about with Gordon early on, where Gordon presses someone, he knocks the ball out of play for a throw-in. He, he sort of gives the big one to the crowd. Bruno does that sort of roar that he always does. All those little moments are absolutely massive to Newcastle fans, not just because they love to see that work rate, but when the players give that passion back that the fans have, it's just a perfect blend. And I think Eddie Howe said after the game that he wants his team to represent the fans in terms of the passion that fans have. And and the fact we love to see, obviously we want to see good football. We want to see goals, but we've always said, even through the tough days, we demand a team, uh, we don't demand a team that wins. We demand a team that tries and that they were the sort of basics. Newcastle fans want people to, to put in a shift, to go in for those big tackles. So when you, when you blend all of that together, that the high intensity, the big tackles playing without fear with, with the good football as well, it's just, it's just a perfect mix. And, PSG just couldn't handle it could it i mean we've we said before the game like let's not kid ourselves PSG players will have faced hostile atmospheres high press sort of uh, approaches before but i almost felt like they didn't come very equipped in terms of PSG don't play a team that have such bold tactics each week, do they? They're not going to play some team in the French League. This is not to be disrespectful, but there's not many teams in the French League who will put them under that sort of pressure, who will exactly. bring that sort of intensity, whether it's from the crowd or on the pitch. And I think one moment, which I think was a big mistake, was but you know when Marquinhos stepped on the ball and almost invited us to press them. Yes. I, I thought, well, I can see the logic in terms of if we press and they break our press, we could be in trouble because they've got so much pace in attack. Mbappe, Dembele, Kolo uh, Moani, they've got so many... Absolutely rapid attackers who could get in behind if we if we push too high up the pitch. But when they invited us to press and then couldn't cope with the press, that was when you knew they'd they'd absolutely fucked it basically. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think I think that was a big mistake. But yeah, it was just just incredible
0: it was incredible i mean this this psg team i mean i had, you know just 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 obviously it's absolutely incredible they they've got mbappe and they're an incredible team with great history in the champions league never won it of course but this is the worst psg team of about two decades <laughs> the, the, you know that's what the french media are saying that you know they've, they've got rid of neymar they've got rid of messi they're trying to start this young french team they're fifth in league they drew 0-0 at Claremont the other day you know the, the, it's not a good psg team but they're full of individual incredible talents and we just completely bossed them. We we didn't just beat them. We destroyed them.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, so, I still think really it's, it. I still think I wouldn't discredit it too. I know you're not discrediting the win, but I, I mean, yes, they, they're going through that period at the minute where they've got rid of Neymar, they've got rid of Messi and um, there's obviously other, well. other players. Yeah. Variety, they used to have the likes of Thiago Silva, who was huge for them. And, but I still think, like as you've said, the amount of quality they've got in that team, the fact that they tend to, okay, they haven't won the Champions League since they've brought in the new owners and had all this money, but they've tended to up their game a little bit in the Champions League without without making a massive impact. But mm. I think it just shows that, um, you know, they can have you can have all the ability in the world, but if you don't, if that team doesn't come together, if talent doesn't work hard enough, it's not going to be it's not going to be a team. Like well, a team. That's that's a. The They're point. a bunch of
0: individuals, and we're a team. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, and I think it almost showed before the game. I mean, I was looking, the Newcastle obviously all the players huddled together, have the team talk, and the PSG players were just there in their positions, hands on hips. I'm not saying they went up for the game, but it was almost quite telling that one team was together. <laughs> The other team yeah. was lined up in I found bunch it of individuals.
0: St- yeah, staggering as well that they chose to play the formation they did. They, they basically played four yes. strikers. <laughs> That's unbelievable. And then and then just didn't they? So when we broke, the four strikers just stayed up there, and then we were up against eight men or seven seven outfield players. I just yeah. absolutely mad.
1: I thought that because before the game, I thought, well, it's going to be Mbappe and Dembele wide, surely, and then one of Kolo Muani or Ramos up front. But when I saw all four starting initially, you think bloody hell, look at that front four. But then. But like you said, that puts it put massive pressure on their two midfielders to to sort of basically do a lot of the dirty work that that the, the front four weren't at all. So it was one of those risk rewards from Luis Enrique, and it definitely didn't uh, definitely didn't work. But um, but yeah, I mean, even so, I guess yes, it impacted them defensively, but it gave us even more to think about at the other end because, like you said, they didn't really get back. And mm. um, worth yeah, we... I mean, worth
0: worth just shouting out Lascelles, isn't it? What a, what a what a great game.
1: Yeah, I mean that's it. He's it's 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 easy to talk about like Bernard Longstaff, the local hero, scoring and Almeron and Char, the like pre takeover players. But if there's one, if there's one player who's been with us through thick and thin, who's through all of that, showing amazing leadership, mm-hmm. yes. And I think at times it was justified that he 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 wasn't maybe quite good enough to be in the team every week, and we had we had to have, sort of get an upgrade in Sven Botman, but. For him to come in, not only against Man City and against Burnley, get clean sheets, but then play against Mbappe, he was actually more central pretty much all of the game. He didn't actually play wide for a lot of it, and barely gave Mbappe a kick. And there was a few moments of the game where he really came up trumps as well. Lascelles, there was was one I don't know if you remember in the second half where Dan oh, I re- got in down the right. It. I remember and, uh, it, <laughs> and, and and he'd got in behind Shaw, and it required Lascelles. Those moments, it was in a sort of same position as where Darwin Nunes scored for Liverpool. And if he doesn't quite get there in time, he doesn't off-put him. If that goes in, it's in a 3 2 with 20 minutes to play. Could be a different game. So there was that, and there was that tackle on Barcola, the left winger who came on in the second half. And it was kind of that, that that classic, took absolutely everything, LaSalle's tackle, where he's he's kind of recovery pace got him there and he just took everything, didn't he? Um yeah. So yeah, I'm really, really sort of happy for him because... It can't have been easy having been the captain, but then actually not playing a massive part of the team. And he's obviously got to be quite selfless to still be there behind the scenes. Still, he must have been training well. Eddie Howe always says that what a good trainer he is, and how his leadership always always shines through. So to go from calling out those mercenaries in the Steve McLaren era, becoming the captain under Rafa, and being that that player in the championship who who played at Burton away to then captaining us against PSG in the Champions League—it's just uh, it's a, some turnaround, isn't it?
0: Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Really happy for him. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, he's going to be used this season. He's going to be needed. So I'm glad he's playing he well because, you know, Botman's not going to be back until after the international break. It sounds like Eddie Howe said that we'll talk about that later, but, you know, having the to be able to come in now and he's, and he's looking good in good form, good fitness, everything. We haven't seen him for a while. So obviously he's played the last couple of games and he's done absolutely brilliantly. So, so fair play Jamal. And then there's a 3 million pound bargain. I mean, I cannot believe he only cost 3 million pounds, but
1: it's worth just shouting out. I assume when you've written three million pound bargain, I assume you mean Fabian Shaw, right? Of course, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, it's been talked about for a while ever since Howe came in that his consistency levels just gone through the roof because that we all I think we always knew, especially under the Benitez era, that Shaw had an absolute blinder in him. He was a he's got so much ability. He's, we've seen it with the goals he can score and the passes he can ping left and right, but. He used to be a bit erratic and he used to be sometimes get sucked in, make silly tackles, get silly, silly bookings. But now it's not just the fact he's so, so consistent. He's, he's doing it on the other side of the defence. I mean, he normally plays as a right sided centre back with Botman on the left and he's there coming in, not only with a different partner in Lascelles, but playing as a left sided centre back and, yeah, he was just that's that's gotta be his greatest ever performance in a black and white shirt. Not just because of his goal, which was obviously incredible which at was the end. Unbelievable, but, yeah. But just the way the way he just read the game and just he was an absolute monster at the back, wasn't he? And like you say, incredible. three million pound. I mean, value for money. I don't think it gets much better than that, does it? I can't yeah. in, in the twenty first century I can't think of a better pound for pound signing than that. And
0: um, uh, just 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 unbelievable. I mean, he um you know, I'll hold my hands up at the end of the Bruce era. Um, I was like, Shah's not good enough. No chance. Because he'd look, under Benitez, he'd look good. And I just thought he'd given up. Because he's got yeah. that demeanour about him that it looks like he doesn't care, even though he does. Because he's quite he quite laid back and he always doesn't, I don't know, he, he kind of doesn't sprint that often because he's just kind of walking around. But he's actually just a quality defender. And now, obviously, Eddie Howell's getting the best out of him. I love him. He's so good. But I think I did, you're right, uh, though.
1: I mean... I think if you look back, I mean, two years ago, people are talking about that that game away at Wolves where we lost. It was just before the takeover happened. It was obviously Bruce, Mike Ashley, awful performance. And I know a few friends of mine who were in the way end that day and just said it was such a flat atmosphere as well, which is not like Newcastle away from home. And in that game, Fabian Shaw was on the bench. And I think I think his contract wasn't far from from uh, being up. He was probably pretty disillusioned by the fact he wasn't getting in the team when the likes of, say, and Clark were and, I agree. Like his attitude at the time, you you just you sensed that he, his head wasn't in it and it just looked inevitable that he would go at the end of the season. And to see where he was, where he was at two years ago and where he is now, it's just another it's just another Eddie Howe success story. And I kind of I love the fact that those players, Shaw, Byrne, Armoron, Longstaff, scored the goals because obviously we all know the truth about Newcastle. And yes, the sign-ins have helped massively. Yes, the investment from Saudi Arabia has been huge. You can't deny that. But had the goal scorers been Isaac, Tonali, Bruno, Trippier, it would have been a little bit different because people then would have said, well, there's your 200 million worth of signings who've done the job for you. But when it's when it's a player in Dan Byrne, he was the only t- signing post-takeover to score that was to score one of the goals. And let's be honest, he was probably the least flashy signing we've made since the takeover. People actually laughed. And he's local. Yeah, he's a
0: local lad, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, when we signed Byrne from Brighton, I think some people said, oh, Ollie, I thought when you... But when you had this takeover, you would have been signing like some of the world's best players, not Dan Byrne from Brighton. So so for, for Byrne to be the only t- sort of post-takeover player to score, I think it's just like a nod to how well Howe's managed the, the players who were existing in the squad before before the money came really. And um and I think as well for Howard kind of like announces himself on the European stage of, of what a top manager he is because I think we said before the Man City game, the one thing he hasn't quite got yet is to beat in an elite team for Newcastle. Yes, we've beaten the likes of uh, Man United, Spurs, Chelsea, but obviously they're teams who are aren't exactly doing brilliant at the minute. But to beat Man City last week, and then a week on from that, beat PSG in front of in front of the world, basically. The, I'm pretty sure the world were watching that game. So I'm buzzing for him as well because, and obviously at the end of the game, the Eddie Howard and Jason Tindall chance that, that I think he deserved that because, like you say, Burn and Longstaff are gonna are gonna make the headlines and and Char's goal, but like so much of our success. It's come from the work Eddie Howe's done and the sort of the philosophies created at Newcastle, the high intensity, the the team spirit, um, and he always says the right things as well. He always knows what to say. So, so yeah, it's a massive, massive for Eddie Howe, and I think as well, just massive for fans. Like one thing I was thinking after the game, just seeing some some parents there with their the, their sons or some older fans, it's like for so many of the fans who went through that Mike Ashley era, young fans, all they knew was sort of relegation battles. Or um, all, all relegation itself, the championship years, and other than the one year under Alan Pardew where we finished fifth, they didn't really have those those sort of memories that maybe their dad have of, of Newcastle in the Champions League. So for so those young fans to be there at the ground and experience that, like that's incredible. And I think for the older fans as well that they saw like the return of great times. I think there must be some older fans out there who remembered the Keegan days and some of the the Robson days as well, and thought, oh well. just want those to return so I think for all for all ages and different generations it was just it was just magic wasn't it and to see that to see them all celebrating it together um it was just magic um I think as well like even for someone like Bruno he's, he's obviously talked about how much the Champions League means to him and I think for us to not only win but beat PSG who were probably in the top five favorites to win the Champions League before that game I would imagine they were um, for Bruno to be part of a Newcastle team that did that to PSG, it's got to like add more belief that he can achieve his sort of Champions League dreams with Newcastle. Like I'm, I'm not trying to suggest we're now going to go and win it, but it just shows what we're capable of. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: And and, and I think he's, what, imminently going to sign a new contract or has signed it?
1: Yeah, there seems to, to be a, a daily tweet from Fabrizio Romano saying that he's mm. about to sign it and it's closed, but it hasn't been announced yet, but it's it's definitely going to be at some point, but... um. Okay. But yeah, not just Bruno as well. Like I think Sandro Tonali, he's got a bit of criticism to Craco, but the mail's kind of flagged up that, oh, he's not really shown enough yet and we need to see more from him. And I thought, obviously, he's not going to... He's not the first name that comes to mind in terms of man of the match, but I thought in that first half, he was a massive part of that that midfield and whether it was his pressing or his quality on the ball. and um, So yeah, I think he deserves a lot of praise too. And and yeah, yeah. the fact the that... Fact, uh, he can get a lot of confidence from that as well as massive because there is a bit of pressure when you pay that much money for someone. You want them to be, you don't want them to be a cloud over them thinking, oh, I'm not really sure about him, but he was, he, was, he was fantastic, I thought, especially in that first half.
0: Yeah, and we are top of Group F, the group supposed group of death. Uh, it's only the group of death because Newcastle are in it and we're going to batter them all. So uh, absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Amazing 4-1 win against PSG. They, we could talk about it forever, but we're not going to. We're going to move on to a West Ham preview just after a quick short break. So, Ollie, the, the, the roll continues, the run continues. Let's see if we can do it against West Ham away this weekend. When, when, how do we watch it?
1: Well, this is a this is a first, I think, but um, it's not actually on TV this weekend. I know when you see two o'clock Crikey. on Sunday, you you presume it's on Super Sunday and going to be before the Arsenal City game at half four. But no, it's not on TV at two o'clock, so I will have to get out the, the dodgy fire sticks in the streams, I think. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, two o'clock this weekend, not on TV, which, like I say, it's a rarity these days, isn't it? We need to always on TV.
0: I know, crazy. Well, what, what's the team news? There's a few injuries, isn't there?
1: Yeah, so I suppose two players here we were hoping were going to be okay for PSG, but weren't, or were Callum Wilson and Joe Linton. And Eddie Howe has basically said that they're the two players who are closest to returning. It sounds like they're going to have late fitness tests. Um, obviously, Wilson had a tight hamstring. I think he's missed our last three games now. And Joe Linton came on against Burnley at the end and then seemed to pull up with a hamstring problem. So I think it looks like Wilson and Joe Linton are going to have late fitness tests. It's hard to say whether we'll risk them because in one sense, we really need to rotate with all the the games we've had recently. Obviously the Champions League, the the Carabao Cup last week, the Premier League games, not just a lot of games, but we've, we've obviously played with such a high intensity in those matches. So we really could do with the players back to rotate. But at the same time, when the hamstring problems... Is it worth the risk when we've got an international break coming up? I mean, so, but I guess if they're, if they're fit enough, how we'll go with them? So, so yeah, Joe Linton and Callum Wilson are, are kind of late fitness tests. Anthony Gordon suspended, he obviously picked up that fifth yellow card of the season against Burnley last weekend. So he, he's sort of serving his one game ban this weekend. Sven Bottman's been ruled out, which is a bit of a shame. I mean, I think we're kind of from the update that were coming out before that Burnley game, it did seem like Botman was going to miss PSG and West Ham. So hopefully he's back after the international break. Um, it probably comes at a good time in some respect. I know we've got so much momentum from the, all of these brilliant results. And obviously you kind of want to keep playing after that. But in terms of the squad and the fatigue and the injuries, it's probably to come at a decent time, would you say? <laughs> because we can't really afford any more injuries, can we? Um, no, no, no. Well, I mean, so yeah, we're, so- we're,
0: we're, we're stretched quite thin.
1: Yeah, exactly. So so yeah, Botman's out, Gordon's out, Willock, Willick, Joe Willock still got that Achilles problem and I think Eddie Howe said a couple of weeks ago that he's he could be back towards the end of October so hopefully we'll see him in a couple of weeks um, and then obviously Harvey Barnes as well, he's ruled out for the rest of the year so so yeah, I think, I guess going into it, we'll just have to hope Wilson and Joe Litton are okay. Um, I noticed Armoron also was limping a little bit at towards the end of the PSG game and then obviously got replaced by Murphy so House didn't say anything about Almiron, but we'll have to see if he's all right. The um,
0: House pretty much quotes before before the game. Uh, is there anything that we need to pick out? Is there anything he said about what we're expecting to do or anything like that? Any hints other than the other than the injuries?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he's, from looking at what he had to say and watching it, he, his big message really was just psychologically being in the right place because obviously he talked about in the, sort of our build-up to the Carabao Cup final last year, how it almost distracted us a little bit and took a lot of sort of mental energy up, thinking about the big occasions and the big games. And obviously, it's then hard sometimes to refocus for the next one. And I guess after one of the biggest wins in in the over the last few decades on Wednesday, it's, they're going to have to sort of come down from that and refocus again. So I think he's just said psychologically we need to be in the right place. He's kind of said that the injuries are adding up. But um, so, yeah, in in one sense we're coming in on a high from the PSG game, but obviously it's just getting that balance right, um, physically, mentally, I suppose. But I guess one thing to know is that we played Wednesday night and obviously we are going to be tired and we, ha- we can't rotate too much with injuries, but West Ham actually played last night on-, on Thursday night in the Europa League and they were away at Freiburg in Germany. So, so they've-, they've actually got one day less to prepare for this, which is probably just as well, really. So at least, at least it's not just us coming-, coming off the back of a European game midweek.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good, and the fact that they've been away with the flights and everything. Hopefully, hopefully yeah. they're all knackered. Although they've got a slightly slightly bigger squad than us, I think,
1: but still, yeah, um, they've probably got less injuries. And I mean, they won as well, so it was a good win for them. But um, but yeah, an away game 24 hours after we played at home. It's uh, at least that balances things up a little bit. Yeah. Predicted 11. What do you reckon, Ollie? Ooh, now this is tough. I guess it a lot depends on some of the players. Obviously, it's a 50 50s on Litton and Callum Wilson and. They are just there. There is just areas of the squad where you can't really rotate. I mean, look, looking at the left wing, for example, like Gordon's suspended, Barnes is out, Joe Lettins a 50-50, Willock's injured. It's there's 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 not many options in certain parts of the team. But I would probably say, obviously Pope and Goal at right back, you could argue these are the these are the games where Livermore could come in. But I just think we've kept three straight clean sheets in the league, and I I think Trippi is the sort of player who can just go again and go again. So I think. And we've got an we'll... international
0: break coming up, even though Trippy's yeah. going away with it. You know, it's a yeah. break for some, isn't it?
1: Exactly, yeah. So I think Trippier will be fine to go again. I think with Bottman out, it'll be Lascelles and Shaw again in the middle. Um, I would think Dan Byrne again at left back. I know Lewis Hall's an option now, but I still don't think he's built up enough sort of minutes and rhythm to come straight in, especially against Jared Bowen, who's been on fire for West Ham. So I think I think the likes of Hall need to be built up a little bit more before he's he's brought in. And again, does How want to change a back five that's done so well now against sort of PSG Burnley, uh, Man City so so yeah, well I, well I know Man City was different, it was Domet and things like that but obviously he wants to keep some, I would think he wants to keep pretty much the same back back four, back five together in midfield I'd say ugh, it's tough for him to go again but I reckon Longstaff and, and Bruno will play again um, they seem to just be able to go on and on I think, especially Longstaff uh, ugh, this is where it gets tough isn't it because I think if Joe Linton's fit I think he'll be the third midfielder just because I think with Tanali's I was mentioned Tonali's lack of training and the fact he was he was starting to tie, I think that's why he was brought off for Anderson sort of midway through the second half on Wednesday. So I'd be surprised if Tanali started again. So I'll say if Joe Linton is fit, I think it'll be him alongside Bruno and Longstaff. I'll go for Elliot Anderson on the left, just with Gordon out and uh, Barnes out as well. He can play wide and he, uh, he hasn't started, uh, didn't start in midweek against PSG. I think up top, it might have to be Isaac if Wilson's not okay, but a bit like Joe Litton, I think if, if Wilson Wilson is fit, I think he'll start. And on the right, could it be Jacob Murphy? I mean, Almiron can just run forever and ever, I think, but it, this, I think just think there might be a need to freshen up the team a little bit for, for the effort we put in. And, and like I say, that knock Almiron seemed to get at the end. So, so yeah, it'll be quite a different attack if it's Anderson, Wilson and Murphy. But if if Joe Litton and Wilson are fit, I think that could be it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'd go if Wilson and Jolinton aren't fit, I think it would be Pope, Trippier, Lassell, Charburn to so the same back five as, as the last couple of games. Longstaff, Bruno, Tonali. I think Tonali will have to play again if Jolinton's not fit. And then Murphy, Isak, and Anderson if Miggy's not fit either. But, you know, it's hard to guess when when we when there's 50 50s on injuries and stuff. You, I suppose you've got to assume that Miggy's okay because he hasn't mentioned him. So
1: True. I mean, y- yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, I think I suppose how sometimes just holds things back sometimes, doesn't he? Yeah. Um... Mm. But yeah, I mean one one idea if Tanali if, if Joe Linton can't play, and obviously Tanali we don't feel can start again, there's an option of playing Anderson in that left sided midfield spot. Yeah. Putting Jacob Murphy on the left and then Almiron on the right. But yeah, but yeah, there's a few options. Obviously, it's 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 almost a shame we haven't got as much depth now in attack, but that's I guess the injuries a lot of the injuries have come on obviously and Gordon's suspension on that left hand side, whether it's Joe Linton, Willock, Barnes, Gordon, there's a there's a lot on that side now, isn't there? So yeah, um, and
0: you mentioned um, Jared Bowen up against Dan Byrne. on the, uh, what the what the key battles. I suppose that's the key one at the moment. Bowen's on top form, isn't he? And so Jacob uh, James Ward Prowse.
1: Yeah, I mean that's one. I mean, I think it's a natural one looking at at, at Jared Bowen, and I guess it's easy to we, we often sort of talk about uh, the key battles being the player running at Dan Burn, and I guess sometimes it does him a disservice because he doesn't really give us too many too many reasons to worry. You just it it often in the Premier League, whether it's like Saka at Arsenal, Salah. Um, Salah for Liverpool or Bowen is an example for West Ham. There's so many good right wingers in the Premier League, and they they tend to target our left hand side, just because they know Trippier. Yeah, just so so few players get any change out to him. So I think that's one big one. I think another one you mentioned there, obviously James Ward Prowse, and I think it's not giving away too many needless set pieces and corners because James Ward Prowse's delivery and the size of West Ham centre backs have got Zuma and um guard as well, and. They're a real threat, I think, from from set pieces. They they already were, but I think now they've got James Ward-Prowse. I think that's another thing. So, um, so yeah, I think it's it's kind of keeping Bowen quiet. I mean, Lucas Packeter as well. He's coming up against Bruno, isn't he? He's uh, he's he's best mate, I think. So, and he's another player who I think initially started a little bit slowly for West Ham, but he looks he looks a really quality player, and he's quite elusive. He kind of drifts around, doesn't he? So, um, and and obviously West Ham mid, midfield got a lot stronger now, hasn't it? They've obviously got. Um, but they've also got Ward Prowse they've they have signed Mohammed Kudus as well who might play a bit further up but um, I know Socek as well he's another threat from set pieces so um, so yeah it's going to be a tough game isn't it? I mean West Ham are one of those teams yeah, outside really the sort game. of big six yeah. they've signed well, they've actually arguably improved since they've got rid of Rice given the way they've spent the money so, so yes they played Thursday night and they were away in Germany so they've, fortunately they've obviously had their pre-match plans unsettled a little bit from that but it is going to be a tough game um uh but yeah to like i said in the last few weeks we've we had the Milan game in midweek then responded to Sheffield United and then we had the Man City game in midweek and then got a really routine win over Burnley so let's say we can make it sort of three, third time lucky here but it's uh it's kind of like the last game of a really really hectic schedule before the break isn't it so so uh yeah fingers crossed we can come out with with a result but it's going to be tough isn't it well what's your prediction Ooh, my prediction! Now I was very wrong again about PSG. I said two all, didn't I? I, I didn't have the faith in. LaSalle's I said three one. Happening. I
0: think did I three or three nil or three one? Yeah, I think you
1: stupid. said three nil. You said we're going to batter yeah. them, and you were right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was. <laughs> you were. You were right. Very right. Um, I feel like I need to show a bit more faith here. I'm going to say, I'm going to say two one Newcastle. Tough game. Nice. Not always going to have it our own way, but I think we're going to. I think we've just got so much momentum now, and it almost feels a little bit like it did over the final few months of last season, where we were just on such a roll that there was kind of no stopping us. And Mm. every week we think, "Oh, are they going to look a bit fatigued? And um, obviously we thought it before Sheffield United. Can we go again? We thought it before Man City and Burnley and PSG. And every single time we've just, we've been at it. So um, I think because we're flying at the minute. Yeah, I think we'll, I think it'll be a tight one, but I think, I think two one.
0: I'm going to go uncharacteristically for one, one. I just think West Ham, very good West Ham, good squad, less injuries than us. Yeah, and we're going to be a bit knackered. We're a bit spread thin. To finish off this with a 1-1 draw away against West Ham would be by no means a bad uh, bad month or so for us. So yeah, I mean, d- I'm going to go I'm going to go
1: 1-1. I can't lie. I think I'm going with my heart more than my head here because when you think about the fact Gordon's out, I mean, he's, he's been our biggest threat. It, I think a lot for me depends on whether Joe Linton and Wilson make it because I think if we have to go again with, say, Isaac, who's already played three games in seven days. If we have to go again with him, I mean, is he going to have it in him to go again? He's going to then have the international break with Sweden. Do you know what? if Wilson isn't fit? I'm not even sure we'll have the numbers to do this. But if Wilson isn't fit, is there an argument to say Isaac doesn't start either? Because well, I think we're really risking it with him if he plays like what about four times in ten days? Um, mm. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I think I've just been optimistic here because obviously. It was an insult to say two two right. against PSG oh, the way optimis- yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah optimism is good that's fine don't worry yeah, yeah. um yeah no I, I think one one you think you think two one that's great um we'll see what happens on Sunday at two o'clock um everyone thank you very much for listening what a week what a few weeks as a Newcastle fan four one against PSG top of the group of death flying up the Premier League table it doesn't get much better than this please if you like the podcast leave a five star review. Tweet about us on Twitter. Follow us there at NUFCBlogcast. Thank you very much, Ollie. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. Ollie say goodbye.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. See you later. <laughs>
0: Podcast Network.